0: I'm going to ask Daniel to come forward. He's reading for us this morning, reading from the Psalms, and then from a short reading from Paul's writing to the Romans. Daniel. Thank you.
1: Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on the law by day and night, From Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, a living sacrifice. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, if you of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Amen. May God have had his blessing to the reading of his word. Thank you, Daniel. When
0: Alistair and I were conferring a couple of weeks back about today, uh, and of course he asked me for, for readings, I wasn't entirely sure what I would bring today. And then I, I had been reading Psalm 1 and It just seemed to me that it might be right, though I'm not entirely sure why or the applicability or otherwise. So I want to pray before sharing some some reflections around Psalm 1, that what I have would, by God's grace, be for you. And for those who are perhaps joining us online, let's bow our heads. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable In your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I love the Psalms. Who doesn't? Uh, We refer to them sometimes by saying there's a Psalm for all seasons. In other words, for almost every and any experience that you can think about that you might have to go through in life, There's a psalm that speaks to it when you're on top of the world and there is gratitude flowing out from you about what's going on in your life and as you review the world. But also when you are in the depths of despair or when you are angry or when you are bitterly regretful about something that you have done, there's a psalm that will allow you to articulate those feelings and thoughts and experiences you got a favorite psalm? I wonder if many folks still turn to the 23rd psalm as being key to them. I love the 63rd psalm, Psalm 63, and I've used it often through the years as a preparation for Sunday morning. Lord, I long to see you in the sanctuary. The psalmist talks about his spirit being dry like a, a barren land. And then he expresses a longing to see God and to be filled. I often pray that psalm as I'm preparing to lead worship Sunday by Sunday. So I would never necessarily have put Psalm 1 as being among my favorite psalms, and yet I am drawn to it nonetheless. It contrasts very clearly using the words that we had read by Daniel, The wicked and the righteous. The life of the wicked and the life of the righteous. I want to put a couple of government health warnings out first before unpacking it a little more. Number one, be wary about counting yourself too readily in the righteous camp. Now, I need to say more. I say be wary <coughs> because there is a clear and present danger of self righteousness. If you say that some are righteous and some are wicked, then the danger is that we, <coughs> pardon me, that we make ourselves in this body of people but that it is self-righteousness that is going on. You can't talk about that and not think of the Pharisee in Jesus' parable who comes to the temple and with his head raised before God prays, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Now there is that self-righteousness to which I refer. We need constantly as Christians to be wary of it, especially when we hear this talk of the righteous and the wicked. We can begin to tell ourselves that maybe we are good enough under our own steam and maybe with a certain degree of religious piety and good works then we can make ourselves be in that righteous camp. Certainly that was where the Pharisee was at. He says before God, I fast. I give a tenth of all I have. In other words, in fulfillment of the religious duties, he had considered himself to be righteous and not like these other people. Friends, it is so easy to look around at the community, look around at the wider world to read your paper, to have the news on and to see all kinds of folks who you would assume categorically to be in that wicked camp. And you say to yourself, well, I'm not like them. So therefore, I must be righteous. I stand before you today knowing that if I am considered righteous, it is not by my efforts, but by the amazing grace of God in Christ. There is no way in which I am able to earn enough points or somehow work my way into God's good books that I might be considered Righteous. I, as you, as with all of us, Paul makes it clear we all fall short. We stand in need of the amazing grace of God in Christ, that through Christ we might be considered righteous. So let us never mistake it for self righteousness. Let us never tell ourselves that we have earned our place among the righteous if today we stand there it is because of Christ and Christ alone Paul writes elsewhere in Romans therefore since we have been declared righteous by faith through our Lord Jesus Christ it is by believing in the saving grace of Christ that we are righteous and not by our own efforts. So, our attitude should more closely approximate that of the tax collector rather than the Pharisee. The tax collector, you may remember, says this, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, in this whole question of the righteous and the wicked, That must be our starting point. God have mercy on me, a sinner, that we might then know for ourselves the amazing grace of God. Those who proclaim themselves and seek to make themselves righteous will never know that amazing grace because they are self-satisfied, self-righteous and believe themselves to be in no need. That's the first warning, if I can put it that way. Next. Although there are clearly theological grounds for contrasting the righteous and the wicked, as the psalmist does, we should be careful in everyday practical situations of being so quick to distinguish and being so black and white about it. Someone said, although even a a good Google search doesn't make it entirely clear who, said this, There is so much good in the worst of us and so much bad in the best of us that it ill behoves any of us to find fault with the rest of us. I like it because it chimes with what Jesus says. Judge not that you be not judged. Take the plank out of your own eye before considering the speck in your neighbor's eye. You know, if you go looking, you will almost always be able to find some goodness in almost all people. And what if we were to be intentional about that? In all of our meetings with others, in all of our relationships that we were looking for the best in others. It would be a good starting point in combating the common perception that Christians are first and foremost a judgmental lot. What if we were looking for the best in people? And it's no doubt that that's how Jesus went about it. Even look at those he called to be his first followers. Well, they wouldn't have made it into the righteous, according to the religious leaders of the time, certainly not all of them, but Jesus did. Jesus gathered them to himself, and Jesus saw in them that which was of God and the potential that was there. My congregation for some 15 years now has specialized in a ministry among those who are right on the edges of the community and those who are so far from being righteous in those terms as to be not even near. People who are long-term uh, heroin addicts and so on. People who, whose lives have been about nothing but the degradation of that and the crime associated with it and so on. And yet, as we have welcomed and ministered these men and women, as we have exercised compassion rather than judgment, as we have been reluctant, as it were, to consign them to this camp of the wicked, then gradually you begin to see something in them that is the divine spark that cannot be extinguished. I wish I had all the time of the day to tell you about some of those people who have been redeemed, who have been saved from the hell of addiction and are now living in Christ, but maybe for something of that to happen, we need to see the best in them, rather than being quick to judge. So I wonder, again with this whole idea of the righteous and the wicked being in mind, that if we were to go out into the world not being quick to consign people, but to be ready to be seeing the best in all people. I think those things are worth bearing in mind, given the language of the psalm, the righteous and the wicked. Now we move to it. None of what I've said is to suggest that how we live doesn't matter. It absolutely does. Jesus described himself, among other things, as the way. And his early followers, before the name Christian was coined, were defined as people of the way. So it would be odd, wouldn't it, if the way we lived was said not to matter? Christianity is a way of life. It's following in the way of Jesus. And yet, what a daily challenge it is to dare to be different. I think especially so in an increasingly secular Scotland here we are now in the 21st century to dare to be different. When all day long, there is subtle, often unseen pressure upon us to conform to what is going on all around us. I think so many times as we were raising our children and suggesting this was not on and that they weren't going to get to do that, How many times they answered. You know what I'm going to say, don't you? But everybody else is. Their mums and dads let them. And so there is that pressure, not least upon young people, but all of us, to be frank, to conform. Many years ago now, Elaine and I went on something of a European tour before we had children. We took a train ticket for a month around Europe. We visited 10 countries and some of the best and, and brightest of the European cities. We arrived in Rome and I remember we got from the train station to where we were going to get the bus to where we were camping. I was a poor student, and uh, it wasn't a salubrious tour of Europe. We had a tent on our back. So we got in this bus queue, and the bus arrived, and a throng of people crowded onto the bus, and we couldn't see where to pay, where to buy a ticket. And we asked somebody, who in decent English said, Oh, nobody pays the buses here. Nobody does it. Well, to be honest, that bus was so crowded that I couldn't see where the machine might have been and certainly couldn't have made my way towards the driver to offer our few lira. Yes, it was before the days of the euro. But it's always stayed with me. All the years since, oh, nobody pays. Just the way it is around here. Now, that's how you define the culture. It's just the way it is. It's just the way it's done around here. So, there we are, living as part of that culture, not removed from it in a monastic sense. We are in that place. And so, therefore, there is that pressure always for us to conform and to be like and to march to that same tune that seems to be all around us. And yet Paul says, Daniel read it for us, the opening verse from chapter 12 of Romans. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Pay your money on the bus. Do not conform. I love the way it's rendered in In J.B. Phillips, an old translation of the New Testament, it's put this way. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mould. Isn't that a powerful image? Don't let the world squeeze you into its mould. Don't be shaped by the world, in other words. What a challenge that is day by day by day. I'm not saying we are rampant royalists, neither are we particularly Republican. So we don't buy the OK and Hello magazine every week to see the latest spreads of minor royals and their lifestyles. But we care. And when the Queen lost her husband of 70 years plus and Duke of Edinburgh died, we cared. And we watched something of the, the funeral on that Saturday from Windsor. And you may remember those who, who saw it, there was something of a, a military procession beforehand moving towards the chapel. Now, Elaine was a guide, uh, and she was a Queen's guide, no less. She rose to the top of the tree in the guides, and she particularly specialised in what they called maze marching. So when she's a marching band or anything like that, she's watching in particular to see how they were. And on that day of Prince Philip's funeral procession, there was Harry and there was William and there was their cousin marching along. And the cousin was out of step. The whole of that, didn't you see it? the whole of that procession, and it irked you, and it rattled you. Come on, man, fall in line. Get in step with the others. Hear the beat of the music. Hear the drum. Fall in step. The psalm says, Blessed is the one who does not fall in step. So, of course, yes, if you're in an official military-style parade, you better get your left and your right the right way round. But when it comes to the life of the Christian, we will find a different rhythm to march to. There's another way. And we're called to it and not to conform to the way of the world. And this is what Psalm 1 is calling us to. The way of the righteous. And that we would not fall into step with that other way. Which wants nothing to do with God or his will or purpose. And what beat is it that we will march to? What is to be our way? Well it's there again in the Psalm. We're told the righteous are those who meditate on the law of the Lord night and day, those who delight in the law of the Lord. In other words, it is in the word of God that we find the way that we are called to live. So, it's clearly the polar opposite from seeing what's going on in the world and and merging in, it's immersing ourselves in Scripture. It's delighting in the law of the Lord. It's becoming so familiar with the pattern that Jesus set that it becomes ours. And that's our calling as Christians. We don't get to make it up, this way of life to which we are called, this way of the righteous, It's there for us set down in Scripture. Friends, will you commit yourselves to that? To that meditating upon the law of the Lord? That you might begin to see it more, and know it more, and live it more? Because therein is your delight. Therein is your blessing and the joy that comes from that oneness with God. Of course, the law of the Lord might narrowly be taken to mean those first books of the Old Testament, but let us consider it to be the whole of Scripture. And if someone was to say to me, well, if I'm not to live that way, then what will my life look like? Next week, we will celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit on what will be Pentecost Sunday. And I think it's hard to look by that list that Paul offers us of the fruit of the Spirit, in terms of what our lives might be like. You see, what I'm saying is this, that the way of the righteous, the life of the righteous, is to be different from the way of the world. So, in what ways is it to be different? Well, it will be lived according to the Spirit at work in us. You know, sometimes Christians have been known for saying no so often. When all the while what we are called to is a way of life that is yes and is positive and is filled with blessing. Can we be known for that? So as Paul shares it, the, lo- the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the goodness and the humility and the self-control might those be the, the things we're known for? Might that be how we are different and marching to a different beat? Because in us, as, as those who love the Lord, those things are so evident in our lives. I guess there was a time particularly in southern parts of the United States, you could have said to someone, well, how would you define a Christian? Well, those are people that don't dance, don't listen to secular music, or don't go to the movies. Don't, don't, don't. I would love it to be, Christians are known by those who do, do, do. Who are just overflowing with love for their neighbour who are faithful and loyal in relationships and yes whose kindness epitomizes their every move and then we would begin to see just exactly what it is we are called to be in our lives. Friends, the end of the psalm shouldn't be forgotten either. It tells us that in the end, the wicked shall be no part of the eternity of God's kingdom, and that the righteous will know that and its blessing. You see, I think it's just about worth remembering that and hanging on to that, because sometimes you look at the way it is in the world and you wonder to yourself, well, there's there's those that are described as the wicked. There's those who seem to want nothing to do with God. There's those who are living a completely different way. And look, they seem to be getting on very well, thank you very much. They seem to be prospering elsewhere in the Psalms. You find that very thing expressed. And so maybe there's times when we wonder, well, I'm giving myself to this way of life. I'm seeking with all my heart to live uh, as part of the, the righteous of the Lord. And yet, there are those others, prospering. All seems to be going well for them. In the end, the Lord shall not be mocked. And in the end, judgment shall fall. And so, let us live as we are called to. And day by day, by the amazing grace of Christ. Through whom we are declared righteous. Let us think on that as we hear sung Amazing Grace.